0: Open in your Bibles this morning to John chapter 11. And today we're going to pick up in our sermon series, Who is Jesus? where we've been looking at the seven I am statements of Jesus in the book of John. And our prayer for this summer is that as we focus in on Jesus, that simply we would fall more deeply in love with him. You know, I heard a story this last week that really stirred my heart to want to love Jesus more as I was uh, talking to my stepdad and he was telling me about his grandfather and he grew up in northeast Alabama in Sand Mountain uh, kind of area there and he, his grandfather was known as a man who just deeply loved God and worshipped him and he was known to just, just break out into worship and praise wherever he was in fact they said it was a regular occurrence while they were uh, working their farm that they, they grew cotton there and it was a regular occurrence that while they were picking cotton if they were to hear shouting or commotion coming from a hillside, if they made their way over there to see what was going on, is he would find his granddad uh, had dropped his bag full of cotton and had his hands raised and was just praising Jesus and and, and telling God how good he was, that somewhere along the way while he was laboring and working, his mind was thinking about the Lord or he was singing unto the Lord, and suddenly, man, he just started having church right there where he is. And friends, my prayer is, is that us at England Baptist Church that we would fall so deeply in love with Jesus this summer is that our worship is not contained simply on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, but God does a deep work within us that causes us to break out in praise wherever we are. So this morning, uh, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles again. There, John chapter 11. We're going to look at our text today. We pick up in John 11 just after Jesus tells his disciples that their friend Lazarus, The brother of Mary and Martha has died. And then he leads his disciples towards Bethany where they lived. And we'll begin reading at verse 17. I'm going to invite everyone, if you're able, to stand with me this morning in reverence to the reading of God's word. If you're unable to stand, then by all means you feel free to reverence the word of the Lord in your hearts from your seat right there where you are. Verse 17, it says, So when Jesus came, he found that he, speaking of Lazarus, had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, if you want to underline this in your Bibles, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And here's our fifth I am statement in verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Now, we're going to skip over verses 28 through 37, but essentially, Martha calls her sister Mary, Mary comes, and Jesus basically has the same conversation with Mary, and then they begin to make their way to the tomb where Lazarus is buried at Jesus' request. So pick up in our text in verse 38. So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave, a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, remove the stone. But Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for it has been four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so they may believe that you sent me. And when he'd said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died then came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Let's pray. Father, I ask in Jesus' name, Lord, often we have so little faith. And God, we, we live with so little daily reminder of our own thought, daily recollection and recognition, God, of your great power. So, Lord, this morning, I pray, God, would you remind us of your power. And God, I, I believe that today you are the resurrection and the life. God, I pray that even this morning that you would raise to life for your name and glory, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Wow. I could not love this narrative anymore. If there, there are passages that preachers love to preach, and I assure you, this is one of them. Jesus, in just three words, Lazarus come forth, speaks, and God undo undoes death and the grave. I heard a pastor say one time in preaching this that if Jesus had not been specific if he had just said come forth because he was the son of God that every grave that had ever been buried is that they would have immediately come forth because he had the ability to call everyone who was dead back to life but he said Lazarus Come forth. There's so much we can look at in this narrative today. But today I want our main focus to be there in verse 25, which is our fifth I am statement, where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Now, when I think about the resurrection, I always immediately go to Easter. That's obviously the greatest story of the resurrection we know. But my second story that I always think about and think about the resurrection is I think about Miss Eula Chambliss. She was a lady in her 90s and she was a member of the first church that I pastored. Now I know some of you are like, hey, she didn't raise from the dead. Let me just say that right there on the front end. But she was our prayer coordinator at our church church. And so basically everybody who had any prayer request, anything that was going on, you called Miss Eula or Miss Eula rather would call you and then you would tell her your request and then Miss Eula would then pass that on to the church and would pretty much demand that it go out on our phone tree. How many of you remember phone trees at churches or whatever? Yeah, they were ever, that, that, it was a great hearted thing, but organizationally it could be a nightmare sometimes. But anyway, so basically you would record a message and you would put it into the computer and it was hooked up to the phone and then it would call everybody on your church roll and record and play this message well miss eula was in her 90s and so she didn't always get the details correct and and sometimes she would even embellish it a little bit just to make sure people had you know the the right prayer request well she called us one day to tell us that mr neal a man in our church he had been sick we've been praying for him that he had passed away so our church secretary Gets on the phone tree, sends it out that Mr. Neal has passed away, and it starts running. It's running for about an hour. And then I I hear the phone ring again, and I hear my church secretary in there, Miss Tammy. uh, She was laughing and apologizing at the same time. And when she got off the phone, I stepped into her office. I said, Miss Tammy, what is going on? And she said, well, Brother Zach, if you were ever going to preach on the resurrection, this would be a good Sunday, because that was Mr. Neal calling to tell us That he is still with us. Now that was funny. Him showing up at Sunday school the next week was even funnier. (laughs) The reality is, is for us today to be able to understand what it means for Jesus to be the resurrection and the life. We need to know what that means. The word resurrection in the Greek is anastasis, which just means to rise up. The word in the Greek life is zoe, which means to be physically alive. But it also can speak to a spiritual life. Jesus saying here that I am the one who can raise people up and he's saying I am the one who can give people life. Now the question we've been asking during this whole series is is what do these statements mean to us? Jesus is communicating promises to us who would believe. Every one of these every one of these I am statements are invitational. He's basically saying, "This is why you should follow me. This is why you should believe in me." But belief was essential there. But we've got to ask the question: What is Jesus being the resurrection and the life? What does that mean to us today? Well, in fact, Jesus references three different ways. And three different settings in which he is the resurrection and the life in this passage. And so that's going to be our focus this morning. So if you're keeping notes today, first, Jesus being the resurrection and the life is first a promise of a bodily resurrection to those who believe in him. Now bodily resurrection is essentially what we're seeing here with Lazarus. It's when a person is dead, they have died physically, but then their body comes back to life. Now, this was obviously a miracle that defied logic in Jesus' day, and it's a miracle in our day today. Virtually everyone in the world knows that once a person has died, and their bodies are rightly discarded in whatever humble and ceremonial way that we choose, that that body is gone. Eventually, to be taken back up by the earth from which we came. In fact this is what the Lord spoke to Adam in Genesis 3:19 after sin and enter the world it says for dust you are dust and to the dust you shall return I think about that passage several years ago. Uh, I was pastoring in Arkansas, and I had the, the sweet uh, a, a sweet grandmother and granddaughter who were at church every Sunday. The granddaughter was a teacher. The grandmother uh, was in her late eighties, and they were some sweet African American ladies. And so, one of uh, our community was very biracial. So our church was uh, very multiracial. And so, one of the uh, one, the daughter in between this grandmother and this granddaughter had passed away, and she lived in South Arkansas and they asked me to have a part of that funeral. And so I drove down to South Arkansas into this community, this church, and it was uh, basically a, a, an entirely African-American community. And listen, I love uh, that in racial differences are not a bad thing. It's okay to celebrate racial differences and ceremonies. Man, heaven's going to look different uh, because you got believers from all over the world that worship differently. Let me say this, we all could learn a little bit from an African-American funeral. You talk about celebrating, it is a celebration. You talk about church, it is a moment to worship the Lord. The pastor of this lady, he preached a sermon uh, that I would be happy to preach on an Easter Sunday morning at that that funeral. It was wonderful. And then I gave my very short, small Baptist eulogy like I do. And, And after the service was about two hours long, it was time to conclude. And I was watching different things saying, oh man, this is culturally, this is different to watch people worship in different ways. And it came to the point to where one of the funeral directors looked at the pastor and said, pastor, are you ready to do the committal? The first thing that came to my mind was, I have no idea what a committal is. I've been in ministry for a long, this is going to be interesting to watch. And about that time, he sat back and he said, no, let's let Brother Reno do the committal. (laughs) And I, and I, I said, Okay, you know, so I stand up, and in my mind, I'm thinking, surely it's going to come to me. Surely I know what a committal is. I start working my way up to the pulpit, and I take hold of the you know the pulpit, and I look at the crowd, and I'm waiting for committal to come to me, and I've got nothing. I turn and I look at the funeral director, and I said, "Ma'am, what is a committal?" She looked at me. She said, "You know, the ashes to ashes and dust to dust thing." I have nothing. So I opened my Bible to Genesis 3, 19. I said, for you are dust and to dust you shall return. God bless you. Everybody have a safe trip home. I still to this day think there are people in South Arkansas that are wondering if that lady has ever been committed properly. We all understand that dead people don't come back unless God intervenes. The Bible shows us 10 instances that are recorded in scripture where God brought people back to life. Lazarus was one of those 10. So one of those 10. So clearly bodily resurrection is something that was unusual for God to do even among supernatural things. However, the Bible does speak of a day when everyone who are followers of Jesus, we will be resurrected bodily at the end of all things after we have died. In fact, this is what Martha is referring to in John eleven twenty four 24, when Jesus tells her, your brother will rise again. And she says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Say so when Jesus hears Martha speak about the resurrection on the last day, he then responds to her saying, I am the resurrection, and the life. Here Jesus is basically saying to Martha, Lady, the one who will raise up people on the last day is the one who is standing right in front of you. Now listen, by Jesus making that statement, he is not only saying to her that I am the one who can raise your brother right now, but he's also affirming the fact that he is the one who will have the authority to raise people up. On the last day, Jesus is affirming a, bodily, a great bodily resurrection for believers at the end of all things. So let me give you two things you need to know today about the bodily resurrection of believers at the last day. First, we need to know that the great bodily resurrection of believers is a real coming event. It is really coming. The Bible gives multiple references to the day when he will raise the physical bodies of his children at the last day. Job spoke about this in Job 25, verse 26. He said, as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at last he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, he's talking about death and decay, yet from my flesh I will see God. You see, you see death, but he's also referring to a day when he will, in his flesh, see God. And Paul gave it to us so clearly, speaking of the bodily resurrection in 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 through 17. He says, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, which is speaking of the last days, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Now, church, we need to understand this. The Bible makes it clear that when believers die, when you breathe your last in this earth, that your consciousness, immediately, who you are and mind and right there where you are, you are immediately in the presence of the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. However, the Bible also says that when your body is laid to rest or whenever form it undergoes decay and all of that, when it is laid to rest, that one day... At the end of all things, when Jesus returns to this earth and he defeats all of sin and Satan and he sets up the new heaven and the new earth, that God's going to do something supernatural, taking that body, making it brand new, raising it up out of the grave. We meet with our souls and then we shall forever be with the Lord. This is a real thing that will happen one day. Secondly... We also need to know that this great bodily resurrection of believers is a redemptive event. Now a common question that Christians ask is is why? Why does God do this resurrection of our bodies if our souls, who we are, is already in the presence of the Lord? If we're immediately in the presence of Jesus, then why would God ever care to raise this old nasty broken body? And the main reason for that is to fully redeem The curse of sin. The word redeem basically means to take back. The Bible makes it clear that all sickness, struggle, and even death were not part of God's original design. But they are all the results of sin and Satan. However... When Jesus returns to this earth and sets up his new kingdom and all sin and Satan is, Satan is defeated and judged and all sin is removed and he makes all things new, everything will be redeemed. And as I heard one pastor say in that moment, God's not even going to leave this old dead body in the ground as a memory of a former broken world. So God is going to make all things new. He's going to redeem even the sting of death. For all of us who are, who are believers, when you lay somebody in the ground, even though we know in great joy that they are with Jesus if they're followers of Christ, and you can know that, by the way, if you're a follower of Jesus. Paul said, or John said in 1 John chapter 5, I write these things to you that you might know that you have eternal life. If you don't know that you know that you know that you're going to heaven, we need to talk, Okay. But here's the deal, even though you know that, there's always still a level of defeat at that grave. There's always still a level of brokenness at that grave. Something went wrong there. But what Jesus is saying is one day, I'm even gonna take that away. I'm gonna redeem that away. Several years ago, I was reminded of what a coming bodily resurrection, how it can take the sting of death away. I I went for a jog one evening and it was just before dark, it was around this time of year, and and uh, I came out to this little country road and I was jogging down this road and as I was jogging another big, huge cornfield on one side of the road there in, in uh, West Tennessee, a lot of farming area. And on the other side of the road, I started passing a Civil War era cemetery and it had the, the, just kind of gotten dark. And as it had gotten dark, a fog had kind of settled on the ground on the road. Now listen, I know Jesus and I know what's good and right and true and I'm not scared of booger bears and all those things. Let me say this to you today. When it got dark, and there's a foggy cemetery on one side of the road and a a cornfield on the other. Listen, I was a little freaked out, okay? I got like the children of the corn on one side of the road and now the living dead on the other, you know? So I, I ran hurriedly on down the road. But once I got to the end of the road, I had to come back that way. But as I was coming back that way, I was listening to worship music on my headphones, And as I was running, just before I got to the cemetery, this song came on that was written by Chris Tomlin. And it says, I will rise. And it's talking about the last, it's talking about the bodily resurrection for believers. And the chorus says, and I will rise when he calls my name no more sorrow, no more pain. I will rise on eagle's wings before my God, fall on my knees and rise. And I started thinking about what that day would look like. And I started thinking about the day when when the trumpet of God sounds and the dead in Christ rise first. And then as I started to go past that cemetery, I couldn't help but think about the very likely possibility that there were Christians there in those graves. And while their souls were presently with the Lord, that at the Lord's return is that those graves would crack open and God was going to raise them to life and suddenly where I was once afraid I wasn't afraid anymore I was filled with joy and I got so excited that I yelled over to the cemetery and I said you may go before me but I'll be right behind you know this today oh Christian the grave shouldn't hold defeat for us Because every loved one that we have sown in the grave that knew Jesus will not be there forever. But one day, God's going to raise them up. As one Puritan said, Christians are not buried. They're just planted. So our first truth today, Jesus saying he's the resurrection of life promises a bodily resurrection. Second truth this morning is that Jesus being the resurrection and the life is a promise of a heavenly resurrection to those who believe. Look with me again at John chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Now, Jesus' promise of resurrection for believers after they die is not just a promise for a resurrection at the end of time, at the last days, but it's also a promise of a resurrection at the end of life. When we die in this life, we are raised now Jehovah's Witnesses they wrongly interpret passages of scripture uh, that refer to Christians death that say that they fell asleep like when Stephen when Stephen was being stoned the Bible says that as he prepared to as he was dying and then Stephen fell asleep it was a humble acknowledgement of believers who had died. Now Jehovah's Witness will say that this refers to something they call soul sleep. When basically they believe that, yes, there will be a resurrection at the last day. That God's going to raise up these physical bodies. But they would say that in the intermediate time, that basically our souls, our consciousness, consciousness just go to sleep. We are not presently alive or active in any way. That basically our bodies lie in the grave. But when Jesus returns, that at that moment he Reunites our soul with our body, and we go to be with Him. Now, listen—that's not a bad thing to think about. In a lot of ways, it's kind of be kind of like for going to sleep as a kid. You remember if you were driving to the beach and you wanted to go to sleep at the beginning of the ride so that you could wake up when you got there? It's like you missed the whole trip. That's kind of what they're saying here. But listen, here's the problem with that. What Jesus says is not that our souls go to sleep. What Jesus says is we have something even better. When He says those who believe in Me will live even if they die, he's talking about the moment of death immediately transfers God's people to be with Jesus in heaven. In Philippians chapter 1 verse 23, Paul talked about how he desired to leave this world in death because he knew immediately he would be with Jesus. He said having the desire to depart and be with Christ. He said, when I depart, I will be with Christ. In Hebrews chapter 12, right before we we, we hear about the run the race, it talks about the great cloud of witnesses to the faith. It basically speaks about there are the saints of God are presently with God in heaven, cheering us on. They're not laying in a grave waiting to be resurrected. They're presently with him. Probably the, the greatest argument against a soul sleep, but for a real heavenly resurrection is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 23, verse 43, to the thief on the cross. As this man is dying and he turns to Jesus and he says, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Not at the end of all things, not at the rapture, but today you will be with me. Like we said last week, the Bible makes it clear that Jesus is our good shepherd and he doesn't leave our children, his children, even in death. When Jesus says, He who believes in me will live even if he dies, he's speaking about an immediate resurrection, entry into heaven for his children. When Paul spoke about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he said that that which is mortal will be swallowed up by life. When you breathe your last in this earth, you immediately step into eternal life. As Tony Evans uh, once said, we're not living in the land of the living and going to the land of the dying, but rather we are living in the land of the dying and for believers, we are headed to the land of the living. Can we give the Lord a big amen for that this morning? Now, it's worth us taking a moment this morning just to briefly mention what awaits the children of God in heaven. Now, Much of what awakes God's children in heaven is a mystery according to Scripture. And I think that's just in the character of God because every good father wants to surprise his children. But there are a few things that we do know from Scripture about heaven. First off, let me tell you what we know will not be in heaven. We know that without a fleshly broken body that there will be no sickness or pain in heaven. Praise God, there will be no more surgeries, no more medicines. No more Advil or Tylenol. No more depression or anxiety. uh, No more cholesterol medicine and none of those things. No more cancer. Can I get an amen to that this morning? We also know without any level of the authority of Satan, there will be no more sin or temptation in heaven. No more walking in on Sunday morning wishing you had done better the week before. All that will be gone. We know that at some level there'll be no more emotional pain or turmoil of the past because all of that will be gone because the Bible says that there's no weeping in heaven. This means all the shame of your past. This means all of your failures. This means all of your hurts and disappointments will be gone. These are just a few things that will not be in heaven. And in my sanctified imagination, I just believe that also there will not be any mosquitoes in heaven. But secondly, let me tell you what will be in heaven. We know that the former saints of God will be there. When he talks about the great cloud of witnesses to the faith. Friends, let me tell you something. There's a great reunion day that is coming. For everyone we said goodbye in this world, you will see again for those who know Jesus. We know that there are rewards and inheritance that is going to take place in heaven. There are crowns that Jesus will give to his children for all the efforts that we have done for his name and glory. We know that in heaven there will be blessings of knowledge and beauty and joy that we never knew that we never knew. And yes, the Bible says there will be food in heaven unlike anything else we have ever experienced. And I hate to say it, it's gonna be better than anything that your mama ever made at the wedding supper of the Lamb. But of all the things that are in heaven, as great as they are, the greatest gift that awaits his children in heaven is Jesus, our Savior. I love what Jerry Vines said once somebody asked him, "Uh, Pastor Jerry, what are your favorite words in the Bible? And he worked his way all the way up to his favorite five words in the Bible. And they came from Revelations 22, 4. And it says, and they will see his face. One day we will see our Savior. Friends, I want to ask you today, do you know that you are bound for heaven? If you were to die today, do you know that you would leave this world in death, but immediately enter into life. And the only way you can know this is to put your faith in Jesus Christ, to believe that he is the resurrection and the life. And to believe that is to serve him and follow him. You can't believe that Jesus is the savior of the world and him not also be the forgiver of your sin and the Lord of your life. So what do we know about Jesus being the resurrection and the life? We know that he promises a great bodily resurrection at the last day. We know he promises a great heavenly resurrection at the day of death for those who believe. And finally, Jesus being the resurrection and the life is a promise of a spiritual resurrection to those who believe in him. Very quickly this morning, look with me again at John eleven twenty five. 25. But I want us to read again through verse 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives, underline that, that's important, and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now I want you to look closely at verse 26. I want you to see that there's a major difference here in what he's saying than what he has previously just said. Every other mention of the resurrection he is talking about Basically, a bodily resurrection or spiritual resurrection after we die. Your brother will rise again. He's speaking about bodily resurrection. He says, those who believe in me will live even if they die. But right here, Jesus is talking about a resurrection that doesn't come after death. He's talking about a resurrection that comes while we're alive. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Now, it should be obvious that Jesus is not saying that if we believe in him, we'll never die, meaning that Christians will never experience physical death. We know that because he just said that everybody who dies will live. We also know the Bible makes it clear that we will all die until the return of the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, Paul said, For as in Adam, we all die. The Puritans used to say that death is the debt that all men pay. So we must ask the question as we prepare to close. If Jesus is promising that resurrection and life to those who are living, then what is he talking about if he's not talking about physical death? What I would say to you today is he's talking about a resurrection from a spiritual death. See, the Bible makes it clear that all of us are born sinners and separated from God. And the consequences of that sin is always death. Romans six twenty three says, for the wages of sin is death. And that plays out in a couple of different ways. We live in death in this life, and we also await a death coming at eternity. Because of sin, we experience death in this life, and that is the death of being separated from God. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. He's saying these people are alive, but they're dead. Why is that? Because when you as creations of God, you and I, created the image of God, when we are not living and walking with the God who created us, we are not truly living. But on the inside, we're dead. You know, a few years ago, America got crazy about zombies. And everybody got turned on to zombie. To zombies. You can see that a zombie is something that was dead, but it's still walking around. One of the most popular shows in those days was The Walking Dead. If you love that show, we probably need to talk. But anyway, that being said, the reality was it was a show about these people who were dead, but they were still walking around. I want you to know this morning, church, that I don't believe in literal zombies, but I do believe in spiritual zombies. I believe in people who are walking around in life. They look like they're alive. They look like they're going through the motions, but on the inside, they're dead. It's what Jesus said to the Pharisees, that they were like whitewashed tombs, and on the outside, they looked clean, but on the inside, they are full of dead men's bones. You know, one thing that you can tell about a zombie is you always know what a zombie looks like. You see him coming, dead things walking around. You can recognize them. I want you to know something this morning. You can spot zombies. You can spot people who are spiritually dead on the inside. You can see it in their eyes. You can see it in the way that they live their life. You can see it what they post on social media. You can see it that they're, they're living for physical fitness. They're living for sexual pleasure. They're living for money. They're living for these things. But you know as they pursue, as they fight, they're dead on the inside. And why is that? Because if you don't have Jesus, you have nothing. And sadly... That death also goes into a death in eternity. The Bible makes it clear that in the life to come, our sin brings the death of being under the wrath of God. But however, in this passage, to those who live, Jesus says he will never die meaning that he will never die under God's wrath, under hell, under his judgment. But he's also saying in this life you may physically die, but you will spiritually live. Jesus gives this promise today that he can rescue us from spiritual death, saying everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. You know what the Bible calls it for somebody to, who is dead to come back to life? calls it being born again. Life of Jesus comes to your soul. It's what we celebrate every time we baptize someone. It's the picture, external picture, of what God has done on the inside. The old man is gone, but the new man has come. Have you ever seen people raised to life before they die? When you see that all of a sudden those dead eyes come back to life, you see all of a sudden that empty heart begins to beat. All of a sudden that hopeless future, they begin to search and know God. Why? Because Jesus, the resurrection and the life has brought to life this dead heart and said, I love you. I love you. I want to invite our instrumentalists to come. And some of you may say this morning, you may say, Pastor Zach, that sounds too good to be true. Promise of a bodily resurrection, promise of a heavenly resurrection, promise of real life in this world. You say, Pastor Zach, that sounds too good to be true. Or maybe you say, Pastor Zach, I believe that for everybody else, but I don't believe that for me. Surely God is not powerful enough to speak life into me. What I want you to remember is Jesus makes this statement that he is the resurrection of life. But then he proves it. <laughs> Think about this. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And then he walks down the road. And he does the impossible. He speaks to a tomb. He tells him to roll the stone away. And he speaks to a man who's been dead for four days. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. And a dead man came to life. Jesus proved I am who I say I am. I am the one who can raise that dead body at the resurrection. I am the one who can escort you from death into life. And I am the one who can cause life to fill your dead soul in this world. But if that's not enough to prove it, just a few days later, he would prove it again. But this time it wouldn't be in Bethany. It would be in Jerusalem. This time, the dead man would not have been in the grave four days, but three days. This time, it wouldn't be people who would roll a stone away, but it would be angels who would roll a stone away. This time, it wouldn't be the voice of the son calling to the friend, but rather it would be the voice of the father calling to the son. And this time, it would be not Lazarus who walked out of the tomb, but it would be the son of God after having paid for the sin of the world on the cross. And when he stepped out of that grave, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. What does Jesus being alive mean to us today? It means he can give life to us. And he offers that to every one of us today. Some of you this morning, you need to believe it again. And you're walking around spiritually dead. You know Jesus, but you live as though you serve a God who can't call the dead back to life. You've got struggles and and issues in your life that you need God to intervene on, but you don't pray in faith and believe because you've forgotten that you serve a God who can bring the dead back to life. And some of you this morning, you are far separated from God, lost in your sin and brokenness, and you feel like, surely, God could never love me. But I want you to know today that God can bring the dead back to life. He can do that in your heart and life today. I want to ask you to stand. Brother Micah and them lead us in this song. I'll let you know that if you need Jesus in your heart and life today, you say, Pastor Zach, I feel God drawing me. I want to come alive in Jesus today. Call out to him right there where you are. Say, Jesus, save me. If you need somebody to talk to you, our pastors will be up front. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor like I just need God to renew my faith again. That we serve an awesome God who can take dead things and bring them to life. And call out to Him right there where you are. God, grow my faith anew. And I encourage you to sing this song as we worship Jesus this morning. Our pastors are going to come. If you need to come, you feel free to come now.